across the UK. Overnight with Martin Kelman. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico You got to be in so much to see in Mexico Yep, that's where we're going now, to uh, Campeche in uh, Mexico. Just before we talk to our good friend uh, John Bonfilio there, uh, let me give you the number. I forgot to give the... I was so excited about David Soul and Huggy Bear and all that. Forgot to give you the uh, the number to uh, call if you want to win that David Dean uh, book. Uh, 03717 That's uh, 03 717 22 uh, and we'll play uh, How Old Cary Grant in the uh, 3 o'clock hour of the show. Uh, right, let's uh, say uh, a very warm welcome now to uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. No problem. Happy New Year. You've probably already had this chat, but were you more Starsky or were you more Hutch? Well, you know, I didn't watch it that much because uh, uh, I was into my sort of late teenage years. I think when they uh, we'd be taught, or I might have just started work actually. It'd be the seventies when they were really popular. So I was, you know, those were the days when I was out clubbing, enjoying myself. Oh. So I tended not to be sitting at home watching the telly because it was a Saturday night show, wasn't it? On in the UK, certainly. Um, so no, I, I couldn't say I was either Starsky or Hutch. I was more steptoe than <laughs> more steptoe <laughs> than his than his dad, uh, if I wanted a TV reference. Um, so uh, yeah, what about yourself? You were a Starsky or a Hutch? Uh, I'm more Hutch, but um, I think that was a naive childhood decision. Since uh, <laughs> since reaching adulthood, I've always re- rejected uh, the, that decision making. I think you know in adulthood, definitely more Starsky. Well, in, in my dreams, of course, I'm not a patch on either of them. <laughs> well, I'm sure you are. Let's uh, let's look at some uh, huge events in Latin American history, which have uh, sort of passed into folklore. Um, first of all, that uh, famous—I uh, mean, it was a famous movie as well—famous uh, disaster, the Andes flight disaster of 1972, uh, an amazing story of, of human survival. Uh, remind us about that story. Yeah, and it, it's cropped up again. It crops up every so often, and it's, and it's now in the news again a little bit or topical because it's just been released on netflix as a film called society of the snow and for sure one of the most incredible stories of human survival ever which took place on october the 13th 1972 where 45 passengers including a uruguayan rugby team were on a standard cross andes flight from montevideo in uruguay to santiago uh, chile uh, when to cut a long story short it plowed into the side of a mountain in the middle of the andes uh, many died of it, but on impact, as, as you'd uh, expect, remarkably, 33 survived. 33 of the 45 actually survived the crash. Others died soon after from exposure. No great surprise, given the fact the crash site was at 3,500 meters mm-hmm. above sea level and temperatures plummeted to 30 degrees Celsius under. At night, search flights uh, went overhead for a few days, but they failed to, start to spot uh, the white fuselage against the the snow, so they called off the search eight, eight days after the crash, and things went from bad to worse when uh, another week after that, an avalanche came careering down the mountainside and buried what little was left of the, the plane and the, the refuge and the shelter that the survivors had. So they all realized that an attempt had to be made 
to, to get some people out, to let people know that they were there. So three of the rugby team uh, set off. They actually thought they were a lot closer to Chile, uh, to Chile than they, they were. But in and amongst this sort of escape attempt, they actually had to scale a 4,700-meter mountain without equipment. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them turned back because they realized they didn't have enough food uh, to keep the three of them going. And the other two actually successfully, remarkably, incredibly managed to hike 10 days into uh, Chile to, uh, to, to let people know. And two months later, uh, 16 survivors were finally rescued. Yeah, it is a, a remarkable story, isn't it? And you say it's called S- Society of the Snow, and it's on Netflix. Uh, I remember it as a, as a cinema movie uh, way back. Uh, uh, another event that's being marked is the uh, this year is the Zapatista Rebellion of 30 years ago. Tell me about that. Yeah, I don't know whether you remember this, but this this has become a, 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 a re- I mean, it was a big thing in Mexico at the time, but it's become a big thing internationally since then. It was uh, um, an uprising, an indigenous uprising, which sort of pitted um, under-equipped, poorly equipped, uh, ramshackle indigenous communities against the might of the of the Mexican army in in southern Mexico, in uh, Chiapas, its poorest region and it was a rebellion for you know standard rebellion for rights anti-exploitation solidarity that kind of thing but it's come to be uh, seen as an inspiration for grassroots movements uh, globally really to the extent that dolls wearing black balaclavas are still sold in the state of Campeche uh, today it was a brief uh, uprising but its legacy continues and actually significant parts of Chiapas remain under uh, Zapatista control interestingly now it's not threatened by the government at all that sort of step back and let them have that space but actually surprise surprise by the encroachment of cartels onto their land but that is very big news here and across latin america yeah well that's interesting i mean it's not something that i remember to be honest but uh i can see why that would be you know huge news and why it would be marked in uh in mexico um and on a personal level john um, apparently, uh, it's 10 years. I don't know whether this would be marked anywhere, but it's 10 years this month since, uh, you were pursued by persons unknown f- for a whole night in a remote wilderness area. Tell me that story in, in, in detail. This is not any, this is not marked anywhere at all except for in no. my sweaty palms every time it comes up. And I feel that the nerves uh, all over again. Yeah, it was definitely not one of the best nights of my life. Uh, uh, yeah, it was on a, on a, I was traveling by canoe in a, you say, a, a wilderness area of the Mexico-Guatemala border on this river called Yusumacinta River. And uh, we decided, the, the group of us had decided to do an overnight paddle because the, the river was slow. So uh, we, we wanted to get ahead of ourselves and get some more hours in. So it's something I've done before many times and have done since where you tie the canoes together and people basically take watches as as the others sleep uh, but as darkness fell i sort of became aware that there was actually another boat not that far behind us i mean maybe not close at all but sort of at the edge of the the horizon and they were keeping themselves there now remember this is way off the beaten track so it's unusual to see other people especially at night and for a good while there they stayed on the fringes of things sort of present but not present but the problem was i pretty much knew that this was going to be an issue because this wasn't normal behavior there at all. So we started basically in the dark, hiding from them, moving on the canoes down the river, but sticking to the darkest parts of the uh, of the river, trying to make them think that they'd lost us and and turn away. And it was at this point that they actually got close enough to us and um, that I could actually hear what they were saying. And luckily, I was one of the only two Spanish speakers in the in our canoes. Otherwise, everybody would have massively panicked because it became really clear 
to me and the other Spanish speaker that actually that these guys were definitely after us. And this this cat and mouse, this strange game of cat and mouse in the middle of nowhere on slow moving boats went on and on for hours and hours until oh one of them goodness. in the pursuing canoe. Yeah, no, honestly, I mean, <laughs> um, started one of them started complaining that they'd had enough and wanted to turn back. And uh, they started to argue amongst themselves, which I thought was I figured was great. We just waited out. They'll turn back and we'll be OK. Um, I thought we'd, you know, we'd, we got out of jail, at which point one of them in that canoe pulls out a massive searchlight, starts scanning the river for us. And of course, inevitably, the beam hits us. And then in that moment, everything changed. And whatever, what had been a sort of slow, drawn out, tense pursuit then became uh, a race. Just shouted at everybody uh-huh. to switch on any lights that they had, uh, put ringtones on their phones. Of course, there was no reception. There is no reception there. Speak loudly. Just anything to make the pursuers sort of think twice about, you know, coming after us and basically paddle, you know, ask people, ask everyone. I didn't really ask, actually, uh, to paddle like they've never paddled uh, before. <laughs> and there was a light off in the distance, which I had no idea. We had no idea what it was. And we just made uh, for that and didn't stop. And we managed to get to the light just before uh, the pursuers did. And it turns out that it was a sort of a watchtower over the river where water was pumped into an irrigation system. And there was an overnight security guard there, luckily, although initially he didn't want anything to do with us at all. He really didn't want this problem landing on his doorstep. No, but eventually, it, eventually we managed to get him to open the door and let us in. And we, we rode out the night there and then continued on in, in the morning. But definitely far from ideal. You know what? The, the strangest question whenever it comes up in conversation that people ask is uh, as regards this, they say, what do they want? To which my obvious response is, you know, in this kind of situation, it's not as though you can time time it out and and ask what it is that they're after and then move on afterwards. Yeah, I was going to, that was exactly going to be my question. You know, as a Spanish speaker, you, you know, you, you, you picked up the fact that they were after you, but I was wondering what they were. They just wanted to rob you, presumably, rob you and maybe kill you. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was it was in, in my head and with the people that I'm still in touch with, we've discussed it since then. It was, it, was a, it was a robbery minimum situation. I mean, these guys, they weren't that well kitted out either, given the fact that they were paddling in, in canoes. They weren't highly organized. It is an area of the Mexico-Guatemala border where there is a lot of people trafficking and there's a lot of issues going on with movement of other substances and stuff there. So, I mean, you know, who knows what it would have been, but, uh, yeah, not having to endure whatever it was that it would have been, uh, I'm quite happy with. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think, the first, I mean, you go on these, um, I mean, it's part of what you do, isn't it? You go on these uh, um, survival sort of missions. Uh, and I think the first time I, I, I ever spoke to you on talk radio is because uh, you'd been in the, uh, in the newspapers uh, because you'd got stranded somewhere, I seem to recall. Yeah, there was there was a jungle incident, which yeah. uh, which uh, which took place where I disappeared for for a few days. Um, yeah, we we I mean, I, there's a lot of sort of environmental work, I guess, that I over the years that I've um, done with indigenous communities, uh, some really amazing groups of people across uh, Latin America, from the Amazon to Mexico's southern jungle to, uh, to up in, in the US. And, and we work together on. Um, issues related to the environment, sustainability threats they face, and, and so on. So pretty regularly, I'm in these um, in these areas. But then also, I kind of categorise it as well. Like most people have had an issue in in a city. You know, it's not as though risk does just happens in an in, in a 
in a rural space. It's just, I, I don't know. I think especially with the jungle episode, sometimes these things, um, because most people haven't had those experiences, they sort of become more folkloric, if you want, yes. uh, in the telling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thank goodness for that, because it's all, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's I would never have uh, come across you if it weren't for you, know, you being stranded in the jungle and uh, missing, as it were, for a while. Um, let's talk sport. Finally, uh, the uh, NFL would be the first NFL game ever in uh, South America is going to be held in Sao Paulo. So who, who's playing in that? We don't know yet. It's going to, all going to be announced uh, later on uh, in January. We know that there are five games taking place internationally, three in London, one in Germany, one in Brazil, uh, in Sao Paulo, the home of Corinthians. Spain, uh, especially Madrid, are very unhappy because it was between Sao Paulo and uh, Madrid. But again, perhaps not a surprising decision, given that there are 38 million registered fans in Brazil. And it has the second largest international fan base after Mexico, for sure. This is part of the NFL's focus on growing its its global mm. audience because it sort of reached a saturation in the U.S. So now they have to look further afield. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously that's why they're moving matches into into Europe, in Germany and the U.K. Uh, as well. Um, just finally, while we're talking about sport, apparently uh, both AI uh, and the Pope uh, have have given their view on who's the best male footballer of all time. They have, yeah. I mean, the question is, what do they have in common? Of course, it's not a joke. They actually agree on the answer to the biggest questions of of our times, given it being who is the greatest male footballer in history. And they both agree that it is Pele. Uh, Pope says, actually, uh, it was also because he was a great Catholic uh, Christian, uh, just as much as he was a footballer. So I'm not sure that he's fully focused on uh, the question. But AI doesn't seem to have taken religiosity into view and Pele is uh, top of the chart Maradona I guess predictably second Messi third Ronaldo fourth Johan Cruyff fifth I think whatever whatever the big whatever questions we want to ask uh, and whether you like it or not AI is going to be uh, giving us an answer for the foreseeable future yes so um, Pele just wins over uh, Lionel Messi uh, and, oh well actually over Maradona um, which is not good news. I mean, you, you tell them that in Argentina, they <laughs> you'd get an argument, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it's interesting because actually Pele is also loved in Argentina. So there'll definitely be some grumbling around the fact that Maradona isn't uh, top, but nobody really has an issue. Given the fact that Pele is Brazilian um, and an, an arch rival, an arch enemy, it's, it's, it's um, interesting that nobody really has a beef with him in the way that people would with you know, with other competing footballers. Yeah. Uh, John, as always, thank you um, ever so much. Try and keep safe and sound. Uh, and if you do, we'll talk to you again uh, next week. Speak in a week. Take care. There we go. Uh, John Bonfilio uh, joining us from uh, Campeche in Mexico.